We're beginning a new series this morning uh, looking at the I am statements of Jesus. And uh, we've been looking forward to this for a while. And a big part of the reason that we're just pretty pumped about the, so basically what this term's going to look like is we're going to do the seven I am statements of Jesus. And then within there, there's two church calendar days. So again, for Bay Vineyardites that have been with us for a while, you know that we track with the church calendar. So we've got Pentecost Sunday and Trinity Sunday. So those will be different uh, thematically. But for the rest of the term, we're going to be looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Now, the reason that we're pretty pumped about this is because um, you go through any sort of difficulty in life or you're being church long enough. And if you're tracking the right direction, you just fall more in love with Jesus. Yeah. It's just like you just get so captivated by Jesus. Like for me, Easter this year, again, I was just like, oh, my, I just love you, Jesus. And I'm like, I can't, this is the best job in the world. I just get to talk about Jesus all the time. And so, like, like, so we're like talking about what sort of series could we do? I'm like, we just want to talk about Jesus. What can we do that's just about Jesus? And so we said, let's look at this, uh, these I am statements found in the Gospel of John, where Jesus talks about who he is. Uh, John's, uh, the purpose in John's Gospel, he, he says in John chapter 23, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, John has this agenda. And John has like the Gospel of John, which we don't have time to unpack like the um, the genius of it today, but it's like, it's a work of genius. At Bible college, I had to write like 5,000 words on the first like five or six, John's prologue, like five or six verses. And I was like, that's impossible. Like literally it's like five or six verses. And then like you dive into it, it's such a work of genius. The language is so incredible. Like it blew my mind. In the end, I'm throwing out all the stuff that I would love to keep in my assignment because I have to keep it under the word limit. It's just, it's a work of genius. It's not a, it's, the book of John is not set up chronologically, so it's more artistic than just the, the Western linear kind of thing. Um, but, but John's gospel is framed. And within this gospel, we have these seven I am statements. And accompanying them, we have seven signs that Jesus demonstrates alongside those I am statements. So it's very, very beautiful. Um, and what John's trying to do is just paint this picture like this is, this is what God is like. God is like this. Uh, he's trying to articulate who God is, and Jesus has come to reveal that to us. This is what God is like. Uh, and so the seven statements uh, are these. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I won't go through them. We're going to unpack them in detail over the coming, coming weeks. Um, and what we're going to explore this morning is the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, before we dive into those, um, to, to those statements, I want to touch on two things that are within the context of this statement that I think are really important. Firstly, as I've already mentioned, John is trying to make it really clear that Jesus is the full revelation of what God is like. Uh, in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And you know what's so beautiful in this passage is that the disciples ask all the questions that we're probably thinking. You know, I just like Jesus created a culture not of control, but of freedom to ask the stupid questions. That's beautiful. So Jesus, uh, so Philip's, Thomas has already gone like, well, where the heck's the way? And how does that work out? And Philip then is like, well, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus is pretty strong here. He's like, man, if you've seen me, basically, you've seen God. Super important that we have a high Christology, really high. Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. The nature of God is fully revealed in Jesus. Paul picks up on this in Colossians 1, verses 15 and 19 and 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In verse 19, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But he's the image of the invisible God. Invisible God. 
Hebrews 1, is, this is one of my favourites. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. Listen to this. This is a verse. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he provided purifications of sin, blah, 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 blah. But he's the exact representation of his being. Like, guys, this is super important. John's banging this drum a lot. Jesus is what God is like. Now, sometimes we can look at the Old Testament and be like, oh, this God's pretty full on. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? In the Old Testament, like God is kind of revealed, but mainly concealed in the New Testament. God is fully revealed in Jesus. So you don't base your theology of God's nature on anything but what Jesus is and says. Super important you have a high Christology. I wrestle with Old Testament texts like the next guy. You've got to like, how does this fit? But here's what I will say. Never use the Old Testament to trump the, the words of Jesus or the example of Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. He is the Logos. So like there's this unfolding revelation of what God's like. And I actually think God's prepared in the Old Testament to have things attributed to his nature that aren't actually true because we see that in Jesus. He's that humble and vulnerable. But in Jesus, like if, you've got to work all that stuff out and I don't want to get into controversial territory. But at the end of the day, the Bible is infallible in that it points to Jesus. Jesus is the climactic revelation of what God is like. And do you know how great that news is? That's such good news. And so then this is why these I am statements are so important. to understand, like, like He's like, God is standing there saying, I am this. And all of it's so stunning. It's like, it's such good news. So, you know, so, and these I am statements, particularly I am the way, the truth in life, no one comes to the Father except for me. Some people have some issues with the exclusive nature of those statements. So other religions, you know, you know lots of roads lead to God, blah, blah, blah. And the Christian faith is like, no, no it's through Jesus. Now, the reason, though, I don't wrestle with that is because if it's not through Jesus, I've still got to figure out what God's like. And I don't know where to get my, my data or info on that. But if, if you come to the Father through Jesus, that is such good news because everyone can find Jesus. Like, like, like all roads lead to Jesus and then into Jesus we find what God is like. And it's like it brings me such relief because I don't have to try and guess what God is like. He's been fully revealed in Jesus. Oh, what a relief. I don't have to, like, the pressure isn't on me to work this out. Jesus has come and self-disclosed the heart and nature of God, and he is so beautiful and so wonderful. It's such gospel good news. So Jesus says these I am statements. Now, to fully understand the impact even greater in terms of, like, the punch of these things, you've got to understand some of the Old Testament background behind it. We have to understand that God has already said this I am statement to Moses in Exodus. The first time God kind of reveals himself, he's revealing himself to Moses. And you can read this in Exodus chapter 3. And, and in this moment, like Moses is like wrestling with his call to free the Israelite people. And he's like, how? Like he's just pushing back on God, like, no, you got the wrong guy, mate. <laughs> like, honestly, if anyone's felt in their life that, like, welcome to just humanity, like, everyone's like, no, surely not God. You can't pick me for this job. Like, I'm like, have you seen? Like, and like, Moses is called to be the mouthpiece of God, and he's a stutterer. Oh, isn't God awesome? Just like, sure. And so Moses is wrestling with like, and so then he starts probing God and he's like, like, whom, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 11 and verse 12 of chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 3. 
And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Interestingly, just a total side note, but it's like God wanted to free the Israelite people out of slavery so that they would learn to worship him. Nothing's changed. He wants to free us so that, and, and teach us how to be a worshiping people. And then, uh, and then Moses says to God, he keeps pushing it. Again, I love the humanity of these guys. They're like, yeah, it's fine, mate. Nice for you. To, easy for you to say. Again, paraphrase. But uh, verse 13, God, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of, our, of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, first time he discloses this, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Now, I've tried to imagine the scene a couple of times, and I've got a very active imagination because my parents didn't let me have TV till I was about 14 years old or something. And so, you know, so I've just I've pictured this moment where Moses is walking up to God, and it's like, well, what's your name? And then I, I, I just, I hope it happened like this. The Bible doesn't say this exactly, but it's like, I reckon God was like, I am. And Moses was like, you are, I am. That's the first bit. <laughs> uh, you are, I am who I am. It's doing, give me a lot to work with here, you know. And I'm like, but it's the perfect answer. I am. He's the I am. The, the eternal, unchanging, self-existent one, infinite and glorious in every way, above and beyond all created things. He is the I am. He's, he's hope, he's peace, he's joy, he's kindness, his compassion, his love, he's creator. I am, all of it, I am, is totally the bingo. I'm like, that's actually genius, God. You're very clever. You know, I am is such the, and because not only does Moses discover God's name, he then also discovers his identity a little bit. I am not. <laughs> if you, I am, I am not, you know, which is super helpful because, like, Moses is all freaking out and everything, and it's like, mate, you're not. You go far in the rest. Not, not about your like, eloquence. Clearly, you've got a problem there, you know. It's like, you are, you are, I am not, but I know that I am. That makes all the difference. And Moses is like, here's God say, I will be with you. That I am is with you. Great revelation to have for all of us. I am not, but I know that I am. The powerlessness of our own lives, but we know that I am. Hallelujah. Such a, so then Jesus is very intentional. John's leaning into this. These seven statements, self-disclosure of who God is and what he's like, he's like, I am. And for all the Jewish hearers, like, whoa. In fact, in John, 8, uh, John chapter 8, when the Jewish people hear this, they pick up stones to stone him because of what he's saying. That's why. Like, he's literally saying, no, I am. But then he begins to explain himself. Um, uh, so, we'll, we'll do, again, we'll dive into the, the I am. But, so that's the first thing. This whole thing here is to help us see God more clearly. Lord, would that be the case over this series for us, that we would just see God clearly and our hearts would boom with greater love for who he is? So beautiful. So that's the first. Second thing in the context of this, God, Jesus is trying to re reassure his disciples. So Jesus in the context here is sitting down for a Passover meal, highly symbolic meal, dripping with imagery of how God freed the Jewish people. They're doing this the night before he dies um, and the disciples, it says in verse, if you look in chapter 13, they're troubled, they're like, they're trying to, they're picking up something big's about to happen. They're all a little bit discombobulated trying to work out what's going on. And Jesus at the start of this passage says, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. They're feeling like, like whoa, this is something, something big's going on here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Then what does he do to comfort them? 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? So Jesus, to, to comfort his disciples on the eve of something monumental and they're feeling it, what does he do? He gives them an eternal perspective. There's a, I'm going to prepare a place. There's, there is an eternity and I'm preparing a place for you. So this is, it's super important we do this regularly that we do not lose sight of an eternal perspective. Because if we lose sight of an eternal perspective, it puts all the pressure on the current moment to fulfill everything. But when you have eternal perspective, you can pay the price of following Jesus because you know that this short life is not the only bit that we're living for. Francis Chan um, used this amazing illustration about 30 years ago. Some of you guys may have seen this, where... Uh, he said, you know, this rope here, imagine this rope just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Um, and it's like a timeline of our existence. Um, and this short bit here represents your time on earth. And uh, a few short years on earth, and then we've got this. And uh, Francis was saying, like, some of you, all you can think about is this red part. All you can think about, he says, like, you're consumed with this bit. And you're like, I can't wait to get to about here because the kids will leave home and they can't wait to go about here because then, like, I'll be retired and I can't wait to live this part here. If I do it really well, this part here is going to be just sweet because I'm going to have lots of money to do whatever I want to do, right? And he's like, why would you spend this little red bit trying to make it as comfortable as possible, enjoy myself as much as I can, and not take this whole thing seriously? And he's like, and I, I felt this as well, actually. He said, like, some people look at me, or Francis, whatever, and it's like, and you think the decisions you're making here are really stupid. <laughs> because, like, why would you choose that as a career path? Do you know how dumb financially that is? I am well aware. <laughs> like, why would you choose to, to sacrifice anything for the sake of Jesus if this is all we've got? But Francis was like, no, you're stupid. His words, not mine. Because how we live here affects all of this. Like, why would you just live for this when the decisions that we make here actually impact this? And listen and hear me clearly. I'm not just talking about where you go when you die. The Bible is super clear that there is rewards for those who are faithful to him. Revelations dripping with this imagery. Jesus promised this a number of times, and we, we haven't thought about this enough. There is a reward in this part to the sacrifices we make in this part for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. So Jesus, how does he try and reassure his disciples as they're feeling very troubled as he wants to give them this eternal perspective? Possessing such an anticipation of the age to come builds in us what we call an eternal vantage point. I live in a world, we swim in this world that's continually offer me temporary securities and comforts. A world that's trying to keep my eye on the near horizon of the present and denies the limitations of our mortality. And so we focus on a home or a stable income, an investment scheme, a retirement program. Nothing wrong with those things per se, but they're wrong if they've replaced the way of Jesus. And Jesus is really clear that these securities are foolish and unreliable. He says this in Matthew 6. He says this in Luke 12. And he offers us this, this like positive incentive to live a life radically for him because of this. Let that soak into your mind. Don't live a stupid life. And this bit here but live with that in mind. Let it shape your decisions now. Literally, every swell I miss because of this job, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for that. <laughs> I'm not going to miss out. 
Just like we're not going to miss out. You will never miss out long term if you've got that eternal perspective. It's blessing upon blessing. It's reward upon reward for how we choose to pour out our life here and now for the king and his kingdom. Choose to live radically for him. So Jesus is trying to do that. It brings enormous hope and comfort. But they still don't understand it because they're like, well, that sounds great. There is a future. This time on earth is light and momentary. You know, even the worst troubles we go through are light and momentary troubles, according to Paul. Um, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And this is where Jesus says this monster statement. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does he mean by those three things? What was he saying? So, firstly, I am the way. The Greek word for that is hodos. Uh, and this is, it's, uh, the Greek um, is very beautiful in that, like Māori and many other languages, a word can have layers of meaning. And so for the original hearers, when he said, I am the hodos, they knew that it wasn't just, a, a, it's not just a road or a means to get to a place, it's also a manner of living. It's equally both. So it's not only the road or the pathway to get somewhere, it's the manner in which we travel on that road, the hodos. Um, so... Uh, it's interesting that the earliest Christians weren't called Christians. They were called the followers of the way, of the hodos. Oh, and like this blows my mind. Like the earliest Christians so lived counterculturally and so lived differently that people were like, oh, follower of the way. You must be a follower of the way. I'm like, oh, that's a challenge, eh? <laughs> Bit of a challenge. Because it's like, oh. Um, I had this catch up with this guy this week um, who um, works in another ministry, but he grew up in South Africa and had a lot of Muslim friends in his towns. And he, um, he was talking to us, they were all mates and stuff. And, um, and one time his mate said to him, he was just a teenager, his mate said, oh, um, our faith isn't just a faith, it's actually a lifestyle. It's true. So I've got all sorts of daily rhythms that mark your religious outworking. And so he went home to his parents and was like, oh, I had this interesting yarn today that like, the, um, Islam is actually not just a religion, it's a lifestyle. And his parents were like, yeah, no, Christianity is like that as well. It's not, just a, it's not just a faith, it's a lifestyle. And he said as a teenager, he was like, I don't know if it is. The only thing I can see that we do a little bit differently is we go to church on Sunday, but everything else kind of seems to be exactly the way everyone else is living. And like, I really jarred him. Like, and as he was talking about that this week, I was like, man, there is a challenge for us as and this is why we bang on about discipleship all the time. So I'm not, this isn't news to you guys, but I'm like, we're not just talking about formation and discipleship because it's our hobby horse. We're talking because the scriptures are dripping with it and we've got to restore the way of Jesus to the church, the way of Jesus to the church. Um, and so, uh, so there was a whole lifestyle. There. The reality is we know it's, it's possible to be drawn to Jesus' teaching but actually just to live a life shaped by a progressive post-truth culture rather than Jesus of Nazareth. It's really easy to hold tightly to some sort of doctrine, but to live unformed or sometimes even deformed lives that don't reflect Jesus' heart and his way. So uh, in time, what were the dreamers, and that's why we bang on about spiritual disciplines and huddles and upper clicks and home churches and devotional practices and service, is that as society continues to walk away from a Judeo-Christian framework, which is doing at quite a rate of knots, uh, that increasingly our lifestyle would clearly mark us as different. That would be like, oh, man, well, interesting. Oh, like, you're, like, oh, you're Sabbath and, and, you, and you, like, you seem pretty chill. And, and I noticed you praying every lunchtime. You go for a little wonder to pray. And you did, oh, you do it in the morning and the evening as well. And, you know, 
there's this whole, like, oh, sermon on the, you, you forgave that dude that really, like, you know, that we marked by the sermon on the mount, that would be marked, that there'd be this sense of our life being a little bit more like Jesus more and more, so that we, uh, we it's clear that our life is different, that our lives are orientated around being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did as we seek to follow. He is the way. But he's not only uh, the, this manner of living, but he's also the way to God. He's, he's how, you don't have to figure out how to find God. Jesus has done that. So, and he's just revealed himself and says, if you want to know. So he's the way. So you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to, like, at some point, you've got to humble yourself and say, Jesus, you are the way to God. And many of us have, have made that decision. And if you haven't this morning, we want to encourage you to make it. Say, we recognize you, Jesus, for who you are. And therefore, I want to yield my life to you because you are the way that I get to know God. You don't have to work that out yourself. You just come to Jesus. And he's like, here we go, baby. Here's the way to the Father. Jesus is offering us access to God and to God's kingdom. He is the way. So he's the hodos. Secondly, he's the truth. Now, what, what sorry, what, uh, hodos, sorry, go back. Sorry, word up there is orthoprax, uh, orthopraxy. So that, again, a, theolo a theological term of like right practice. The way is right practice. Let's move on to the next one. I am the truth. Oh, I've mucked it up. That's me to say orthodoxy. <laughs> Let's uh, blame the coronation for that because I was kind of had half my eye on that last night. But anyway, um, so he says, I am the truth, Aletheia. I am the truth. Now, again, a lot of words for truth. But what they mean here is not just um, facts or statements. It's reality. The, the Greek word means reality. Uh, so this is, again, orthodoxy. Sorry about that. So without uh, practice... Sorry, practice without belief does not result in true life. And again, this is the uh, this is important that we understand that we can be drawn, and, and some of my generation and younger are very drawn to the practices, Sabbath, solitude and silence, prayer. But the danger is that can just become project self. Oh, I want this lifestyle, this kind of Jesus vibey lifestyle, and it's just another form of consumerism. But Jesus is also the truth. He's also the truth. And so we can trust that Jesus will lead us to what is actually true. He will lead us to reality. That's the only way. So, for example, you've got things like the big three would be money, sex, and power. So for the follower of Jesus, if he is the truth, then the reality of those three big dynamics in our world today can be found in Jesus. Uh, and uh, if you choose not to accept what Jesus is about there, then you will still encounter a reality, but it will not see you flourish. So uh, the way that, you know, this is interesting. A lot of theologians talk about the wrath of God, you know, like what's the wrath of God? Because that's a biblical idea. And most, a lot of theologians, I think, uh, uh, which I, I would agree with, are saying the wrath of God is actually God just letting us uh, deal with the consequences of our free will when we choose to reject his orthodoxy. So it's like you can choose, what do you believe about money, sex, or power, and choose to do something that's not actually the way you're hardwired to live, because this is what God wants to see human flourishing. It's his way that leads to flourishing. So you, and it's like you're going against the grain of what the universe is set up to do, and it hurts, and it's not easy. And so uh, if, you, if you submit to Jesus and you submit your life to Jesus as the Aletheia, you actually come in alignment with how we're wired to live. And we flourish. So let's take those three things, money, sex, and, and power. Um, with regards to sex, as followers of Jesus, we've seen as teaching in his life the way of flourishing is to choose chastity. Uh, or another way of saying it's marriage or celibacy, that, uh, that it's in the context of marriage that, uh, that we, uh, we can have that physical union. Um, 
And so we choose that over immorality, which our world says is all very normal, because we're like, no, that's the way of human flourishing. Or money, as followers of Jesus, we see in his teaching in life that the way to flourishing is to choose generosity over materialism. Um, uh, and, and that causes us, again, to live an abundant life. In regards to power, as followers of Jesus, we see in his teaching in life, the way of flourishing is to choose servanthood over dominance. So like, in all of this, it's like, it's like, is he the truth for us? Like, we live in a post-truth culture. And I know that what I'm laying around is like, whoa, easy tiger, shiggers, mate, you know. I've got to, I, I can't with integrity say I love this book and then just say it's okay, but, but let the world shape your values and morals and ethics. No, Jesus is the truth. And, and I've said this many, many times. What's his motivation behind all of it? It's all motivated by love and all leads us to life. Everything Jesus calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. So if we're deeply suspicious of this, then it's because we don't know who we're, who we're dealing with. He's pure love and he longs to see us go to life. And so we know this is true because we've, we've, we've hit reality outside of God's flourishing reality. All of us have done that, right? Where our world's gone to a pickle, we're all in a bit of a jam because we've just chosen to do our own way. And God's there longing for us to, to, to recognize that He is reality. He's the truth. And as we come into our alignment with Him, now, let me just say this. All of us have screwed up. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? I loved Mike's message, the, 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 the acknowledging our humanity. So I'm not here to tell you off. I'm here to invite us back to the table Grace and mercy is enough, but to take seriously, he's the truth. How can I learn that so that I can live a flourishing life? Finally, he said, here's the life. Here's the Zoe. It's a bunch of uh, uh, Greek words for life there. Again, you've got the word bios, which comes from biology. It's kind of like the physical stuff. You've got suke, which is like, uh, or psyche, which is like our soul or spirit. Uh, but Jesus used this word Zoe. Uh, and, and that Zoe, that word literally means like abundant life or eternal life or divine life. Interesting thing is that like we can work on our bios and our psyche. Jesus actually said this in John 3 verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to, to spirit. So like we can actually work on the bios and the psyche of our lives. Uh, and so you know, we try and do that, right? So I'm going to eat a little bit more healthy, bios, good, good decision biologically. I'm going to eat a little bit no, this is hypothetical, just so everyone's clear. I'm going to eat a little more. <laughs> we eat a little bit more healthy. I'm going to work out. That improves your bios, you know? And then it's like, okay, I want to get my head sorted, so I'm going to go to some counselling. I'm going to try and live a more emotionally healthy life. I'm going to process my grief. That can help with your spirit. So the, but here's the thing. So you can actually cultivate that stuff, but one thing you do not have access to is Zoe life. Only Jesus can give you Zoe life, that eternal heavenly life breaking into your life. He's come to give you that life, that Zoe life. Uh, we have these limited options but because but, only flesh can give birth to flesh, but Jesus says we can have Zoe. And so John is sitting there listening to Jesus say, and, and, and we find out later he was reclining on Jesus' shoulder. So like John heard Jesus say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and John believed it. He was like, oh man, it's so true. There's some eternal life that I can experience in the present because I'm in, I'm in connection with you. And so it becomes this, like, as John, um, most likely one of the latest gospels written, John just sits in the presence of Jesus uh, and the resurrected Jesus, has just as like we do, 
just all of his life just gets totally transformed. He goes from being a son of thunder, cross and grumpy the whole time, to being the apostle of love where he writes one John and two John is love, 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 gushy, gushy. And it's like he just gets his whole life gets melted by love because he's, he's discovered the life, the Zoe found in Jesus. And so he opens his book and this book of John that we're reading in John 1, John 1 verse 4. He says, in him was life, Zoe, and that life was the light of all mankind. At the end of his book, he finishes it by saying, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have Zoe, you may have life in his name. Like this is the heart of God, is that you would experience heavenly life here in the present. And friends, isn't that like at our best? Like we know what it, we know what that feels like, where it's like, I don't know, your best devotional moment or a moment on Sunday where you're like, I'm so filled with goodness and joy and peace that's beyond myself. And it's like, that's the heavenly life we're talking about. And the journey of our lives is why we use spiritual practices is to learn to position ourselves so that we can, we can experience the Zoe life of God more and more and more. Like, it is true. God has come to give you life. He wants to see you flourish. He longs to see you live fully alive. Saint Arrhenius said the glory of God is a person fully alive. Like he wants to bring life and society lies and all sorts of ways about where that life is found. But here's Jesus saying, it's in me. That's where you find that life. And it just brings everything to life. Like everything is a spiritual discipline if you let the Zoe life of God infiltrate your worldview, your whole being. Literally, like you can, everything, and what I mean by that is like fishing, spiritual discipline. Like, man, this is, isn't it amazing? Oh my gosh, feel the life of God. Go for a surf. Oh, this is incredible, isn't you? Like if, if you cultivate a sacramental worldview where you're just aware of the abundant goodness and grace of God revealed through creation, your heart can be overflowing with wonder all the time as you enjoy the rich, decadent life and blessing of God. Every, every time you have a, a nice wine, I'm not a wine guy, but some of you guys, you know, smelling all those notes and stuff. And it's like, that's like, again, it's like, but let's become connoisseurs of life, you know, where it's like there's just, there's something where we just savor the goodness. He wants to give that life to you. It's found in Jesus. But let's come back here. As we come into land, here's the thing you've got to get your heads around, guys. Next slide. The way of Jesus, the orthopraxy plus orthodoxy equals the life of Jesus. The way of Jesus welded with the truth of Jesus brings the life of Jesus. So don't just isolate one of them because you miss out. on the, the equation does not work with any one of them removed. You have to come in alignment and humble yourself in a post-truth culture that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. It's Jesus. Reality is found in him. So we take him seriously. What's your thoughts about this? How do we live like this? Everything is motivated by love, leads us to life. So let's have the right practices and keep fighting for them because he's the way. He's the way to the Father, but he's also the way we live. Let's keep understanding his thoughts. What is your reality, Jesus, on this particular situation, on this relationship, on my finances, on my job, on my children? How do I live in your reality here and, then, and if you do that increasingly, you discover the Zoe more and more. You just discover the life of God. And so you'll know that you've lived in churches that may have emphasized truth a whole lot without the practices. And so you have all the right doctrine and stuff. We look down on everyone because they've all got it a bit wrong and all the rest of it. But you're wondering where the life is. Or you've kind of got into some kind of Christian lifestyle thing, but you haven't submitted yourself to that. He's truth. 
And his, it's his way that leads to life. It's his truth outworked in our heart that leads to the life. And so you're wondering why you still feel like you're going against the grain of how the universe is set up. And it's like, no, come back and, and humble yourself and say, no, Jesus, you are the truth. Your reality is the way I want to live. You start yielding yourself to God in that way. He leads to life. Here's the wonderful thing. Here's the thing that blows my mind. Jesus is just like, as I say, like we wrestle with his truth, I think, more than probably is. We all wrestle with it all, to be fair, don't we? But it's like, but I just keep coming back to like Jesus just humbly standing there with longing in his eyes. And even this morning for each one of you, just like, he's like, he just wants to look you in the eyes and say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. But it's an invitation. Like he's vulnerable as he says it. And the fact that some of us are wrestling with what I'm talking about this morning is good. Disciples wrestled with it as well. But at some point, you had to say yes and just yield your life to him and just relax. I'm going to follow your way. Leads to life. So as we land today, um, I just want to ask us the question like, as we look at the self-disclosure of God revealed in Jesus, where do you need to trust Jesus this morning? And on the second, I'm going to invite you if there's like if you're wrestling with God a little bit this morning, or if there's one area where you're like, I've got to work on that, that you'd stand in a second as a response to say, before Jesus, help me. And maybe it's the way, it's orthopraxy. You believe in him, but your lifestyle hasn't changed that much. Um, then perhaps this morning it's like, yeah, Lord, I want to learn your way. Or perhaps it's the truth. Um, You've been reluctant to let God shape your mind, to shape his teaching, to shape your ethics and your morals and how you live, and that you're committing this morning to fill your imagination with God's vision for how we live. Or maybe it's the life where you're like, man, I just am so longing for that Zoe. Oh, I've had little glimpses, but it's felt so hard. I want the Zoe life of God. You know, you can experience that in the most, like even if you're going through great suffering, as Paul did, you can experience the Zoe life of God in a prison cell chained to a wall with execution imminent. Paul's like, man, you can know the life of God. It's available for everyone. And so if there's one, and like I just want us to be, I talk about this a lot, we're going to be the church that eats the humble pie before Jesus in a proud culture. And that's why we do responses most Sundays, is to cultivate a humility that says, yeah, there's a bit I'm struggling with. So this morning, if one of those three things, way, truth, or life, is like a bit of a wrestle for you, but you want it, would you stand now just before Jesus and just say, yeah, I need, I need some more of this in my life?